0: Welcome everybody to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host Tom Quatt and we're back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have Matt Smith. How's it going today, Matt? Good. How are you doing, Tom? Doing really good. I moved my interface and it's kind of in this awkward position where I was trying to bring the audio down a little bit and I was just like, oh, I got to reach over the mic like now and you're doing so, anything you.
1: who knows what you're doing off camera over there Tom I have no idea what you're doing
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, first off well, welcome to the podcast I want to thank you so much for uh giving us the time to sit down and chat a little bit I'm really excited to kind of get to know you or get to know more about you I know you've got a lot of really cool and interesting things that you do you uh, just released a whole bunch of music back in um, back in September, so much so that I thought it was a typo when they put in the, uh, the, uh, little information form. And I thought, so w- we'll definitely be getting into that here in a little bit, but, okay. um, before we kind of jump into everything, uh, for the people that don't know who you are, what's your origin story? What got you into music? Tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
1: All right. I've been doing this my whole life. Uh, Ever since I was a kid, when I first started playing, I just never put it down. Started at 10 with guitar, uh, hit the road at 17 and spent many, many years traveling nonstop uh, and in bands and stuff and the usual thing. And then I moved to New York City. I come from upstate New York, basically the Albany, Saratoga area. And then uh, I moved to New York City uh, for about 15 years before I moved to Austin. So I spent a lot of time in New York. During that time, I was traveling all over Europe and all over the United States, doing all kinds of stuff, gigs, doing guitar clinics. I've always been teaching, doing master classes and clinics and performances and stuff. So for a long time. And then uh, just had enough of that. Came down here because my mom and dad lived in Austin and I wanted to spend some time with them while they're still around. So that's why I moved down here and it was a, a, a great move for me. Yeah, New York, obviously. So, yeah,
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I moved to Waco about a year ago, and I'm really enjoying the Central Texas scene. I haven't gotten to see much of the music yet because I moved here the end of October of 2019, and so it was like right at the beginning of the Christmas holidays. So it's like everybody's busy, busy doing holiday stuff, and then January hits. And it's like, okay, I got a couple of weeks to start looking at some stuff. And then, boom, the pandemic hit. And I was like...
1: I remember it was the time changed. And so yeah. did the world. Yeah, It was like that. i always remember. It was like the, the time changed, and then so did everything else. It was amazing. And yep. who, who would have thought then it would last this long and will continue to last this long? The beautiful thing about that, though, is there's a silver lining to all of this stuff. <laughs> And you remember after the plague, there was the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. So what happens anytime that you have a giant kind of civilization-changing event like a pandemic. Uh, people who are creative, they'll spend maybe a couple of months kind of trying to figure stuff out, and then they're like, "Well, I'm not gigging, so I better start yep. writing music." Yep. And so I, you know, we're going to see a giant avalanche of. Oh of yes, people. it's already starting to happen. I mean. Yeah. Give and, uh, cause that's what you do. If you're not, you you have to do something with the creativity.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I've been saying that since probably April, you know, like, I mean, they, cause I, I've been doing the podcast now for, uh, four years. Yeah. Ju- July was four years. Um, And we've been kind of doing it more daily since the pandemic because it's like, well, I can't get out and we do live acoustic sessions with musicians Mm -hmm. as kind of like, that's what we started as. And once the pandemic hit, it was just kind of like, well, we got to do something. There's this zoom thing. Let's just start doing remote podcasting, you know, and we'll, we'll make it work. And as I'm talking to all these musicians, you know, it's like, It's interesting because they're all in different places. You got like ones that they have their own studios. They can go in, record whenever they want. And, you know, just kind of continually release music. Some people are writing. They can't record. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens 6, 12, 18 months after the pandemic as people start getting their music recorded, getting it mixed, mastered, sent out, and all that stuff. There's going to be some amazing stuff coming out.
1: Well, as they always say, Tom, you too can make hundreds or even tens of dollars in the music industry over just a few short decades. (laughs) It's not, you know, anyway, so this is a labor of love for everyone who's involved in it. And people, it's interesting, there was a, a, a time when you started to realize that music became went from a uh, a sale unit to a promotional thing mm-hmm. so and then what's that for to do gigs and all of a sudden well you, you make records so you could get better gigs and uh, hopefully get more you know more press and better gigs and everything and then all of a sudden there's no gigs so what do you do you go back and make more records to kind of stock them up for when there are gigs eventually you know yeah because it'll eventually you know they'll, it's eventually there'll be a vaccine and all this will be behind us and then yeah. We'll have to figure it out. In the meantime, it's interesting, like you have found a new way to do things, you know, a new way, way, and you're using your creative energy. A friend of mine told me one time, he said, every morning you wake up and you have like a $20 bill of creativity by your dresser. That's what you get that day. And if you use your $20 bill, then it's done. So if you use it on doing whatever you're going to do, maybe that's all you can do that day. The good news is tomorrow when you get up there'll be another $20 bill of creativity there Yep, you know
0: absolutely absolutely I've never heard that before but it makes plenty of sense because yeah you're always going to have that creative energy you may spend it but it's always <coughs> going to
1: yeah. yeah exactly and so I, it, that gave me a lot of peace when I finally realized that like some days I just can't write because I'm doing something else you know yeah. it's not like I'm not doing anything I'm Maybe I'm working on someone else's music, or, or you know, working on promotion or whatever. And then that's what you're doing that day. That's what your twenty dollars bill is spent on, you know. And, but before that, I used to kind of beat myself up a little bit, you know. Yeah. Like, why aren't you being more productive? And then after a while, you're like, Hey, actually, I am being pretty productive, you know. Yeah. Just not in the way I expected to be productive.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So. You've got kind of a lot of things that you do. You've got your hat in, or the your hat. You wear many hats, I guess is where I'm going with that one. You you play music, you teach music, you produce music. Um, your what's the clinician thing? I was trying to figure that. I was looking through your website and I was trying to figure out what you what that was all about. So we'll, we'll kind of start with that one first.
1: Through through my life, uh, and this is an important thing for anyone. Hmm. Your life doors open in front of you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you choose to walk through the doors, Sometimes you don't. Uh, one day I was I was like the guy in my town in upstate New York. Then one day this guy came up to me and said, "Hey, I work for this guitar company. We're looking for guys to play guitar for us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you're you're amazing. They're going to bring in like a whole bunch of different people, you know. And you know we'll see what happens. But I was just the last guy standing, so I started working. Uh, I would get paid to go out and play guitar for different companies, at uh, music stores, colleges, and then at things like the NAMM show or Music Mesa or any of mm-hmm. these other giant, huge music things. Yeah. And I made a ton of contacts that way. It was a side door. I didn't expect that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, and then all of a sudden, I started teaching at the National Guitar Workshop, and they were like, "Hey, you want to write a book?" I'm like, "Well, I've never wrote a book before." I'll, I'll try it, sure. And because, you know, I have weird, big, huge, hairy hands. They're like, they, in the book, they had this guy with super long hair, very skinny <laughs> guy with huge, giant long fingers. I'm like, even in books, it matters what you look like. Yeah. But that was the 90s, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, when I was kind of looking through it, when I saw, because like, I am was kind of looking through your website, and I saw the clinician thing, and I thought it had to do something with using music as healing, like a, I
1: actually, I actually have been doing that for many years, working okay. with at-risk kids. So, in other words, uh, there's a facility here in Austin called Phoenix Academy, and and uh, we've. Uh, I got a, a call one day from a guy who used to study with me years ago, and he said, "I don't know if you remember me, but we have this studio uh, here in Austin, and it's just been sitting there empty for a couple of years." I'm like, I, "I know about it because I set the studio up." A friend of mine asked me to set the studio up. Mm-hmm. He's like. You know, anybody that'll come and help, you know, help us get a program together for these kids. These are all, uh, you know, teenagers that, you know, in other words, you if you get in trouble, you can either go to juvenile or you can go there, try to straighten out your life, you know. And, and so if you finish the program, they'll expunge your record and you have a clean record anyway. So, and that's one of the things they can do to express themselves there. So I, went, I said, of course, I'd love to do that. And and uh, so I've recorded over 400 songs for those kids now. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly hip hop, and it's and it's they're dealing with stuff they're going through. But it's it taught me a lot about that life is not really about me. You know, as a yeah. musician, when you're coming up and, and you're you're growing up, you're very very self focused because you're trying to make things work, you're trying to make a career out of music and everything. And then at a certain point, you're like, you know what? Uh, I was never comfortable. I mean, I have a ton of albums out, and I've always done this stuff, but I was never comfortable being the guy you know mm-hmm. I and mean? I'm just like I don't have that kind of personality where you where, where you have to like constantly qualify yourself and everything to people and explain to people why they should be impressed with you I I just could never do that I yeah. didn't have the for it so uh w- when I started working with the kids you know I was like man this is this feels a lot more real to me and it feels like it's something important giving back you know Hmm. absolutely
0: absolutely you gotta you gotta like, one thing that we do on this podcast and we'll uh we'll definitely be doing it a little bit later is we like to pass on knowledge to younger musicians and Absolutely. so just you know building building our a legacy and passing on information because you never know there might be some little kid that wants to learn how to play banjo or something you know just might just want so, to...
1: if i can mention it i have several different YouTube channels that, that have completely free music videos on it, for educational videos. Six String Ranch, our YouTube channel there, has over 35 or I think maybe 45 videos now about how to play guitar, how to play harmonica, how to do all this stuff. It's completely free. There's no sign-ups. And then we started Four String Ranch for bass players. Mm-hmm. So About 20 of those. And then I, I, I went down to Mexico to play a festival down there. and And a former student of mine was uh, he basically explained to me that there's very little Spanish language education? So I started. I brought him up, and we did ten videos in Spanish. And that's mm-hmm. called "I say you know, six-string ranch in Spanish. And and uh, and and so I've always been really, really about that sharing knowledge.
0: Awesome. And so that's been something you've been doing your entire life. Well, obviously not like the YouTube videos, but passing on knowledge and things you pick up. That's kind of been your motto your entire life. I don't have children,
1: but I'm a great, great grand teacher. So in other words, I have students who have students who have students. Mm. So so I've I've been teaching uh, for about, I guess, you know, 40 years now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it's something I believe in very, very much. And and really, it's, it actually is a secret weapon for any musician trying to learn. If you teach someone else, when you're explaining someone what they got to do, you're like, oh, I got to do that. I got to make sure I do that, too. Or you're always like maybe one one page ahead in the book than they mm-hmm. are if you're teaching them how to read music. It, it's like it, that. It,
0: it kind of keeps you humble and... Um like learn knowing the basics and refreshing the basics at, you know, just like um it, it, it like it just kind of keeps you humble because I remember when I like, th- this is a little bit of a odd comparison, but like just growing up through general education, uh, like just trying to do my math homework in the second grade and like, or, you know, just trying to do the random math problems that my dad was like, I haven't done this in forever, you know, and just, yeah. So. You're always learning.
1: It's, uh, I I think uh, teaching is one of the best ways to learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, I'm, I mean, I'm self-taught. You know, I never went to school or anything. I've basically been self-taught. And so, uh, for me, it was always like, I realized that you have to remember what it's like not to understand something. Mm-hmm. You have to remember what it's like. Uh, so many times we... Uh, try to give information based on how we were taught it. But you have to remember, we are always assuming that someone who we're talking to understands what we're talking about. Yeah. So you have to look at it like, hey, you have no idea what I'm talking about. How am I going to get through? And really, that's also a great life lesson because you have to really, one of the great secrets of communication is never to uh, figure out how, uh, never make someone come to your level. Always go to their level. Communicate Mm -hmm. with someone at their level. They can't possibly know as much about a particular subject as you do when you've been doing it for so much longer. And if you can get yourself out of the way of that and start to uh, listen, you know, I think you become Mm -hmm. a a much better person in general. (laughs)
0: Uh, When it comes to teaching music, from your perspective, like what what do you think is like the commonly one of the common things that it's hard for students to understand or to initially get the grasp of?
1: I think it's just the mechanics of things. Okay. And the thing about is really important is the why, mm-hmm. why are you doing this? One of the, when someone wants to study with me, I'll always say, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to be able to play in a band? Do you want to write mm-hmm. songs and record your songs? Do you want to just, ha- you know, be able to have some more knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. and that, or do you want to just learn some songs and have some fun? Because there's all kinds of different ways to approach that. Yeah. And, and, and the great thing about it, like I always explain to people, if you're going to move to France, you need to learn how to speak French. So mm-hmm. if you understand how music works, it's not necessarily you have to read it, but if you understand how it works, that's what everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. There's always this thing, like, what are they talking about? And, and, uh, but it's always really simple. It, it, everyone just uses different terminology. I'm sorry, I'm rattling on over here, you know.
0: No, you're good. You're doing <laughs> perfect. Um, so how many, um, how many instruments would you say you know how to play? Pretty.
1: I play about fourteen instruments, okay. you know, and and but you have to remember, I'm I'm sixty-one years old now, and I've been mm-hmm. doing this since I was ten, and I've I've always been a professional musician. I've never had a a a job I've never had I was just messing around there, but I've never had to have a job I've always made my living playing music uh both professionally and then teaching and then also any number of different ways I do a I work with a lot of companies as a consultant you know musical instrument companies on design and stuff Mm -hmm. and just in general I've I've been been doing this with different in different aspects of how to make a living I, I was like well you know Again, what I said about before, there's always doors that open up in front of you. And if you're smart, and and you can see the doors that open up, and if you go through the right doors, then you'll always be okay.
0: Yeah. So the real question that I have, do you know how to play violin? Fiddle. No. No? Okay.
1: <laughs> I should. Let me explain to you why. I mean, I've been playing I play slide guitar. I've been playing slide guitar for years. I play mandolin. I play a lot of other that are tuned to the same. Right. it's the bowing technique that's right okay. crazy because the bowing technique and I when I you know like I know where to put my fingers I know how to form the you know the different things and of course I've been playing this stuff for years but it's the bow I can't just get past it I, I sound like someone's little brother trying to learn how to play the violin and I'm like okay you got to pick your battles with these yeah. you know you can't be good at everything so you just try to specialize in what you can what you can do you
0: know yeah absolutely that the reason i ask is cuz i've been trying i've been trying to get up the courage to uh learn how to play the fiddle uh the 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 first major hurdle is i need to get a left-handed fiddle and those are a lot more rare and a lot more expensive if you can find them yeah from what i get or from what i guess it's goes back to like the or- orchestral days and everything being kind of um some that or um Symmetrical. Symmetrical. There you go. Um, and so like, if you try and play left-handed, they'll beat it out of you so you can play right-handed. So, I thought,
1: well, I mean, there's lots of different ways to, uh, you know, I failed music theory in, in, uh, in high school, not because the teacher wasn't good, but because they never related it to what I was interested in, you know, and the terminology. So, <laughs> and that kind of thing about music being militaristic rather than something that's super creative. It has to be fun. That's why they call it playing music. They call it playing music. They don't call it get hit on the hammer, hand with a ruler. You know what yeah. I mean? Playing music sounds fun. Yeah. You know, work. they don't call it working music. They call it playing music. You yeah, know.
0: absolutely. And I, I think that's why I really wanted to pick up, or I really want to pick up the fiddle and learn how to play, is because uh, when we go out to, like, these bluegrass music festivals or we go out to these festivals, Every night around the campfire. Oh, I learned a lot.
1: I learned a lot at those festivals in upstate New York when I was from. We would go to those, and I would sneak into them, and I would play all night long, and just pick up pick up a ton of songs. I know exactly what you're talking about. That there's there's very few things that are more fun than playing music with human beings.
0: Yeah, other beings, you know and it like it, it's just really amazing to watch like there's this uh bluegrass festival we go down to in the florida keys and saturday night is the picking jam session like that's right. they dedicate an entire night that that's all they do and so you walk in and like there's usually one or two guys that are kind of running running the the jam session or whatever calling out songs and what have you but people just kind of jump in and out all night and it's just like really amazing you know just kind of watching how the natural progression of music and the growth is so you'll
1: notice one of the things that are really important for example when you go to when you watch those jam sessions i always tell people who want to start playing with other people just go watch it because for example if you go to a blues jam session there are songs that are always called and when you go to the bluegrass jam session there are songs that they're going to call you know salty dog or mountain dew or you know any of the other millions of bluegrass songs that there are Every genre has its standards. So if you can just like start to get a handle on a few of those standards, then you can go and you have common ground with someone, you know?
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I want to, let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about your music because you did something kind of interesting so much to the point that I thought it was a typo. You released a whole bunch of music back in September, uh, September 11th. Uh, You released eight, albums is that correct yeah that's right so, so what, what, what's kind of the story behind that and why did you release eight uh for many many years as i told you i traveled and it was, i would put out an album a
1: year so i have 18 albums out now so okay. all together so uh, i uh i started to work be, as i told you before i spent a lot of time working on other people's music and helping people uh kind of help people uh What I do here at Six String Ranch, just really briefly, is I help people learn how to play, learn how to write, uh, and then teach them how to record their stuff, and then recording. So I also teach logic and a bunch of other things, too. I teach people how to get stuck with their things. People need, uh, what I've always done is I've always taught people when they play to write music. For example, they're like, well, what am I going to write about? I'll be like, well. Do you have kids? And they'll be like, sure, I have kids. I'm like, write songs for your children's children's children that you'll never see, you know. Try to write, put your knowledge down. They're like, that's a great idea. So people start to do that. And what happens is it becomes this engine. So I end up doing probably 10 or 12 albums a year that aren't aren't mine. Mm -hmm. So I'm always working, plus with other artists that come in and different songwriters and stuff that work with me. Uh, And, uh, you know... So the the whole idea is, I spend a lot of time working on other people's music. I can't always write. I love to write, and I've you know obviously I've written a ton of songs, and I'm I'm not super prolific. I need there was a an old saying I think that uh, well you need time to dream. Mm-hmm. you better be creative. You need time to dream. I can't just be working all the time. So when I have time, I'll I'll write, uh, especially when I have something to say. Uh, over the last four years uh, and. To be fair, I'm a, a New York Democrat. That's where my political leanings uh, go. And, and so I've been, I've had a lot of stuff. Uh, I've had a lot of very strong feelings about, uh, for example, immigration, uh, how our, we, we become, we've become increasingly isolated and increasingly narcissistic as a society. And, and those are things that really bother me. And, and I, I don't know if it's, I, well, I'm sure it's not healthy. Uh, for society in general uh whether and i have a lot of friends who are republicans and and i don't you know i'm not like i'm not a militant anything Mm -hmm. i don't believe in fundamentalism of any sort really Mm -hmm. so uh i had a lot to say with this record at the same time i've had uh so that was being human so being human is a lot about uh, observations of like who really you know the bottom line is really cares what I think you know what I mean so uh, you know people when people make uh, albums like this I dealt with aspects of love death uh, depression uh, narcissism uh, a lot of really strong things that I had something to say I've always uh, tried to be very very clear about what I want to say in a song there has to be a reason to say stuff. There's a, a a lot of people who just make music. They write a song, and they're like, I wrote a song, I'm going to record it. You know, you don't... I don't necessarily think that's good either. So I've written thousands of songs, mm-hmm. and most of them never get heard because I'm writing through them to get to the ones I like. Mm-hmm. When I have a collection of songs that I think are worthwhile, then I'll make an album. Mm-hmm. So I had this this album finally finished this up after really really thinking a lot about the lyrics and everything else and I also uh, a few years back when my I moved to Texas because my mom and dad retired here as I Mm -hmm. said and my dad passed a few years back and there's always uh this guitar uh it was the very first guitar I ever played it was uh a tiny little guitar and my mom used to play it and I'd put my knee on her on her leg and listen to her play when I was a very young boy and it was my very first guitar and it hung in my in my parents living room above the fireplace for many many years and I would always take it down and look at it the strings were really high they had nylon strings and the strings were an inch off the neck and then when my dad packed but I knew it was a really old guitar I didn't know what it was but it kind of looked like a super old Martin it was a parlor guitar and I'll explain mm-hmm. in a second very small guitar and uh so when my dad passed my mom gave me the guitar I brought it and had it completely restored and I said what is this and they said this is a thompson and Odell, uh which is a guitar made in boston massachusetts in the 1890s and i'm like wow and so i said string it very lightly i want to put steel strings on it instead of nylon and when i got it back it was my great great grandfather's guitar my grandfather's guitar my father's guitar and now it's my guitar so i recorded it sat down and recorded an album the idea with that guitar was one man, one guitar, one take. Mm -hmm. So it's just fingerstyle instrumental music. It's stuff I've been doing for years and years, which is just fingerstyle guitar. And so that became Parlor. So I had that album ready. At the same time, I had had uh, uh, two live albums in the can. You know, I've mixed them like three times until I liked them. One with a band that I had uh, from the last album I had done called Matt Smith's World, and I recorded that live at the Saxon Pub in Austin. Mm-hmm. And then another album with this great experimental trio I had called Chop Shop, and Chop Shop was myself, Ed Friedland, who's now with the Mavericks, and Brian Austin, who's a great drummer in town here, who plays with David Grissom a lot when, when they're playing, you know. just mm-hmm. uh, great musician. Anyway, so we did an album, and that was album was about uh, uh, basically song based improvisation kind of like taking the concepts of a heavy duty jazz band and applying it to rock and pop songs so the song starts it can go anywhere the great thing about a trio it's like a little sports car the more it is you have in a band the more careful you have to be yeah but just have with like bass drums and, a, and a, a guitar or a mandolin or lap steel whatever i was playing with it you you could take it out into outer space and and it was fair game and if you have great musicians it becomes clairvoyant, and you can make this amazing experience. So I recorded about 30 shows of that and took the best songs of that and and, and put that at Chop Shop Live at Strange Brew, which is a club here in Austin that passed a, a while ago as well. Then, I, last year, I re-released all 10 of my previous albums, and so I thought the other thing that would be great to do is to, instead of making people listen to 10 albums, is to put together a uh, career retrospective. So mm-hmm. 1988 to 2020. That's what the other four records are.
0: Oh wow, So, you. When did you kind of start the process of putting all these records together? Obviously, it took some time. But when did you kind of start the process? Well, I've had them.
1: I always, I, even now, I probably have six or seven albums that I've. It's just what happens is, as a, as a any as a creative person. Hmm. The person that was you 10 years ago is no longer the person you are now. Mm-hmm. So the things that you thought about, the things that were important to you change a lot through time. And also you mature and you, what what's important to you changes. And so the songs you wrote 10 years ago, are, you should just leave them alone. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So in other words, I, I pick I already had, I, I picked the ones that I had recorded off those other 10 records and put yeah. them together, but the ones yeah. I like the best, the ones yeah. that I, like i looked at all the records i said if i were going to pick three songs or two songs off of one record which ones would you pick and to represent that particular period because i always looked at albums like being a photograph of you mm-hmm. that year it's like a photograph of you that year yeah. the, the bottom line is it's not going to change the world <laughs> you know what i mean the bottom this is the bitter truth of it and i always discuss this with the people who i work with i'm like this is the tough part of this is like no one will ever care about your music as much as you do Mm -hmm. and your mom, you know what I mean or or, and the other people in your band and everything of course we care very deeply about it but you know how you listen to music, like this is great, I love this song I also love this song over here and then I'm going to listen, oh there's a new song over here so we're always consuming things one after another after another that's why, you know, streaming has become so huge and such a great idea you don't have to own that you don't have Mm -hmm. to own you don't have to carry around this giant sack of stuff like you used to have to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, but then I, I don't, I think there's kind of becoming a research, like just kind of going back on that. i It's really interesting that we're starting to see in this like big technology boom where everything's getting a lot easier and like streaming and like the iPhone, like, your iPhone, you know, all that stuff, you're starting to just see a resurgence back to hard form media where now vinyl is making a comeback. Cassette tapes are making a comeback for some reason? Like.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I think what it is, is, is uh, it's, been, it's been proven that digital media is uh, there are things about it and it has a lot to do with conversion. Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, you know about conversion. You're an engineer, so if you have, if you have, uh, uh, for example, if you buy uh, an interface that costs $120 mm-hmm. and it's got like two preamps in it and the converters and everything and, and a you know headphone input and all this other stuff, it's, the problem is the conversion is just not going to sound very good. And the conversion is the most important part. because yeah. that? stuff that turns the zeros into ones back into yeah. audio and audio back into the zeros and ones and everything so that's why some music is painful to listen to because mm-hmm. of because it just doesn't have. i used to explain it to people like why why does it make music sound good and i'd go well because your converter is really cheap look at it this way have you ever tried to sip a drink through a one of those drink stirring you know stirring straws with the two tiny little holes in it. Everyone's done that, and but instead of just opening up your mouth and drinking the drink, it's that difference and over, you know. And so there's a lot of kind of differences in why vinyl sounds better mm-hmm. and why anal, purely analog sounds sounds better. Now the other thing about it is, most musicians can't afford tape. Mm-hmm two-inch tape costs $200 and gives yep. you 15 minutes, you know, of time. You can't do eight million takes of that song without, no. you know, unless you got a ton of money, you know, so digital recording is really leveled the playing field as far as how we get music out and, mm. and how, we, how we, period, but it's not quite, obviously, as it doesn't sound as good. It doesn't have that warm, fuzzy feeling. And the other thing about it, and I know I'm, I'm sorry if I'm dominating the conversation, nope, but... you're
0: good. Keep going
1: the other thing about this is that the, the loss of the album listening experience
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you have uh you know a, a series of music like for example being human was put together as a kind of a concept mm-hmm. and it deals one song deals with love one song deals with death one song deals with my issues with addiction another song deals with uh, like sanctuaries about immigration and the hypocrisy of how everyone in this country is an immigrant, yet we always demonize the latest wave. You know, mm-hmm. women coming in. We don't want those people. All the other waves that came before it, they're here already, but not yeah. this one. And that's the way it's always been in this country. Yeah. And, uh, but yet, we are a nation of immigrants. So all the, those kind of things, uh, that I put it together like to kind of like be that. Mm-hmm. Just okay. an old man spouting off.
0: No, you... you that's the one thing I really do enjoy about vinyl, though, is it forced musicians to tell a complete story within that vinyl because you can't. I mean, if you're really good, you can skip songs on vinyl, but you're gonna over skip and you're gonna end up in the middle of the, you know, just like all all this stuff. But listening to vinyl, you it like you'd mentioned, it's a. Experience from beginning to end, A-side to B-side. It would take you somewhere and
1: keep you there. and And you would have this experience based on it. The other thing about that is that at that point, there was so little media when vinyl was big the first time. There was so little media that uh, you you would listen to an album from start to finish, and you'd mm-hmm. land, or, or you'd listen to the headphones on your bed. You'd just listen, then that, the side would be over be like, Oh, I've got to go got to get up and turn the side over you know yeah. but but it also had this it would have this very very strong image of a particular time and place in your life it was mm-hmm. the sound to of your life mm-hmm. and, and that started to go when mtv started where in, instead of having uh, a, and this is still really old we're talking about really old but also for me it's it's the pathway on why it's coming back so when MTV started instead of having these really really vital memories that you had you saw a video yeah. and then as that faded it became more and more about image and everything else and people are like well I mean I don't look like this person and I'll never look like this person I like the guys with the flannel shirts and everything else and then that, so there was a reaction to that now what's happening now as music becomes realer and realer and realer and more, you know, uh more sanitized and auto tuned and everything yeah. else and gridded and all the beats are gridded, it starts to lose a, a sense of realness. hmm Like that's not what you go hear when you go to the bar and see your buddy's band playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not what you see.
0: Yep. yep. Not at all. Not not at all. I, I will say though. The one reason I got back into collecting vinyl is, yeah, yes, I enjoy listening, actually listening to the vinyl. But for me, it's all about that cover art. Oh
1: yeah, I love cover art. What amazing work! This is the other thing is, it, it, before, artists were so strongly uh, associated with bands. You know, mm-hmm. there were there were you could just see, an, see a see an album cover, you go, I know exactly what band that is just from the artwork. You mm-hmm. know even if it was yeah. an album you've never heard before. Yeah.
0: You, you know, it's just kind of, it's got a certain look. It's got a certain feel it's, you know, I, I've just recently started um, reform reforming a vinyl collection. Cause you know, I inherited my mom's when she was, when I was younger and then it got to a point where her record player didn't work. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, we got all this vinyl. We don't really have any where to go, and so it just ended up getting sold in a garage sale. Um And then now it's just kind of like, I don't even remember what all was in the collection, but I'm sure she had some gems, because my mom is 64, she listened to the Beatles, the Monkees, so, you know, I'm sure she had some gems in there that were probably worth keeping in the short, term, or in the long term.
1: Well, sure, and also, I mean, it was... Vinyl was always something that, you know, it's, it had to have, like, the technical aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Vinyl had to have, you could only put so much time on a vinyl record, because if the grooves were too small, it wouldn't give you the right amount of bass coming out of the speakers and stuff like that. It was really interesting, the, you know, the theory behind
0: vinyl and why they can only put, I think it's 17 minutes on the side or something. Mm-hmm. Depending on which which RPM, or if you get a thirty-three or a forty-five or a thirty-three,
1: yeah. And also, you had to have special preamps for those. I mean, mm-hmm. you couldn't just plug it in, like uh, obviously with a you know. You remember when when you had a, you had to be sure you had a receiver. You couldn't just plug it into your, you know, into your. Uh, and it had special inputs on the receiver mm-hmm. that you have to put it in there so it has enough power to drive the very low output that comes out of the, the
0: needle, you know? Yeah, it's
1: interesting. yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, since you're a musician that seems to always kind of be writing and in that creative zone, what, what's kind of your process when you sit down, or when you sit, not necessarily sit down to write music, but like what, what's kind of your creative process?
1: I've always played music. Uh, for me, it was always uh, in service to writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, when i first the first thing i ever did when i picked up the guitar and learned a couple of chords was write a song with those three chords and then if i learned a new chord i'd write a new song with that new chord because for me it was always about that and then when i learned a new technique or i would discover things when you're first starting to play everything is so intimidating and so like for example right now we'll talk about your experience looking at playing the fiddle, for example. So right yeah. now you're looking to play the fiddle and you've been to all these bluegrass and you've seen these virtuosic fiddle players. Yeah. And you're like, I, uh, I'll never be able to play like that. But you don't yeah. have to play like that no. because what you do is you start with really simple things that you can do. It's If you can find, uh, for example, either on YouTube or in person, the right person to guide you. Mm-hmm. And it makes the whole thing so much easier because there's a plan right now. You're like, I would love to play fiddle, but that is an abstract concept. Yes. Yeah. So, and then you're like, okay, I want to play fiddle. Like, you know, this style of fiddle, you know, so yeah. I want to play bluegrass fiddle, which involves all these different things. So you got to learn the different bowing techniques yeah. and the double stops and all the other stuff within the fiddle. Yeah. And then you're like, and then you're like, well, how do I improvise? Because that's a big part of bluegrass is, mm-hmm idea of improvising yeah uh you asked me before about uh, a little word of advice for any young aspiring musician and my biggest thing is uh it's really obvious you and i are talking right now with our voices yeah you play the fiddle and you start finding little notes and you start playing little scales and everything sing the notes as you play them because you relate to the whole world with your voice. It makes really perfect sense. For example, when someone's learning how to improvise, I'll say, look, just sing the notes that you're playing. That's how you're going to know what's going to come out of your instrument. Otherwise, it's completely abstract. It's, you know, it's like, it's over there, you're over here. You connect to your instrument through singing along
0: with it. Oh, well, Yeah. I, that, yeah, I would have never, uh, never thought of that. You know, the amazing thing,
1: Tom, is that a lot of things with music seems like this weird, mysterious thing, but it actually is just what you do every day. It's no different. And you start to realize that music, all aspects of music, it all comes from the same place. It all comes from the same place in you. Your ability to sing, your ability to write, your ability to, to uh, improvise, your ability to do any of this thing. It all comes from the same place. We always try to think that things are compartmentalized, but they're not. They're all part of the same thing. And that is really reassuring when you start to realize that the concept of singing is the same thing. There's two things that happen when you sing with your instrument. Mm -hmm. One, you're going to start to know what's going to come out of your instrument when you you put your fingers a certain place. You're going to know what sound will be there. Two, you'll become a better singer because you have something to compare your, your pitch to you know yeah. Yeah.
0: and one thing that you had brought up earlier uh we were talking about um uh we were talking about the hardest thing that you feel it is for young, uh, musicians to learn when they're start, just starting to learn how to play music and you'd mentioned it was the why why certain thing or the mechanics and the why and that was something that I struggled with and still not still technically, but like when I first told myself, okay, I'm going to learn how to play fiddle. And I was trying to figure out the why. And
1: you answered your own question when you said, I want to be able to play at bluegrass jams."
0: Yeah. That's the why. Well, that that's the big why. But then I started like really thinking about it. And it's whenever we go to these, festivals and we talk to musicians whenever i go on these podcasts or whenever i go to you know we do the uh, solo acoustic sessions you know whatever we do my audio engineer and the uh production like the goat uh, like uh, the third member of our team they're both musicians they can relate with every musician that we go to or work with and here i am i don't play any instruments so i'm just kind of like oh hey i'm the guy you've been talking to for the last six months you know and i want to be able to at least i want to learn the basics and kind of understand and connect with music on the same level that all these people that we work with kind of do as well
1: there's a language that all musicians use and it's based on, and I'm just going to explain this to you really quick because all of this becomes ridiculously complicated when yes. it's So here's what it is. The only thing anyone ever says when they're talking about music is talking about the major scale, either mm-hmm. the notes of any major scale or the chords of the key that are built from that major scale. So for example, someone will go, oh, it's a one-six two five progression that means the first sixth second and fifth chord of that key if you understand how to find that and it's really really simple it's ridiculously simple and and you know if i I don't want to get into a music theory lesson with you but it's ridiculously simple and and uh the uh i mean i guess i i don't know if i we want to get into that because i could certainly tell you about it
0: uh but uh, it may next be- next time I'm down in Austin, I we'll sit down. About I, it. I, I I don't I can't tell what you're drinking. I can only assume it is a. It's a Waterloo. It's a water. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm uh- not a drinker. I'm you know that's yeah. I've never Been a
0: drinker. I got- it, it, it looked like a Bush Light or something. I was like, okay. The-
1: oh, it's a. And, and it's not that I. It's it's because I have too much stuff going on. Yeah. And whenever I would drink, it would knock me out for the next day. You know, I'd be like, yeah. oh, "I feel like crap," and I, I just got too much stuff to do. So yeah. that's for me. And I, it's not like I have an alcohol problem or anything. It just was never my a vice of choice, shall I yeah. say?
0: Yeah, I got you. I completely under-
1: <laughs> So anyway, there's uh It's not like I'm vice free. That's just yeah. not my vice. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. The, uh, uh, the whole idea with for me is is uh, music. And, and and the satisfaction I get from it, uh, it, was, uh, it was never for me about fame. It was about seeking greatness, seeking the potential of what I'm able to do through learning, through learning more and more about <laughs> things. I'm endlessly fascinated with everything about it, every single aspect of it. That's why I play so many different instruments. That's why I learn so many different styles. That's why I'm always learning about new things not just about this, but about the technology of it, everything, you know, the whole idea of it so that I can pass it on.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you'd mentioned, we we'll, we're going to kind of transition, but I'm going to use this question to use, use it as the transition. Okay. So you'd mentioned earlier, you play 14 instruments, mm-hmm. which one is the most, or, the toughest yet most enjoy it's tough but you enjoy playing it right is, is that question make sense
1: I think I'd say the the, the main one I play which is the guitar the guitar okay. is uh it's it's any instrument can be gone into as deeply as you choose it's not just that so say for example uh you're going to learn how to play finger style I always tell people you have your 50 your right hand is a full 50 percent of your available hands so you should learn how to use it you know as well as your left hand when you're playing everything and then the other thing I, was, I always say is that 90 percent of the time you're playing rhythms you're, mm-hmm. you're playing accompaniment you're not playing solos but most guitar players just work on their solos endlessly and don't work on playing interesting accompaniments for me I'm going to tell you something and and about the way i look at guitar and the way i you know i spent many many years as a session musician in new york city so i get a call they'd be like hey uh do you know somebody that can can play banjo and they're like yeah call this guy and i get call and i come in with my banjo and i do the track for the producer and he'd go that's great next time we need another banjo player we'll call you and i'd be like well that's actually like my eighth instrument you know the instruments that i like to play and and but sure Go ahead. I'm happy to, you know, whatever it is. For me, it was always challenging, you know, looking for new challenges, looking for new things to, to expand into. And and uh, uh, did I just completely leave the subject that you were talking about?
0: Nope. You're, you're right where I wanted – you're right, right where I, we're right. talking about. I got to you, you, I you used the word that I was trying to get out of my extremely tired because I've been doing political coverage all day for my day job yeah. since – 7 a.m. yesterday oh,
1: yeah sure. So you
0: used the yeah. word that i was trying to put out there but which continue. Was, which was uh challenge which yeah. instrument do you find the most challenging
1: uh i, I every instrument has its great masters right yeah. so, uh for, for me if i learn a new instrument whatever instrument it is okay. uh for example, it could be the Baglama, which is a Persian, you know, is an Iraqi instrument that I've been playing, toying with. All of these things I'll never, or for example, the sitar or uh, any of these other instruments, the Cavaquinho or the mandolin or Dobro or any, any of these other instruments. Uh, there are great masters of those. So what I would always do if I was going to learn an instrument, I would immerse myself in the great masters of that instrument. Mm-hmm. For you, for example, if the fiddle is just listen to great fiddle players over and over and over and then start to figure out what they're doing. You know what I mean? And the great thing is there's so many videos you can just watch somebody do it and kind of say, oh, that's how they do it. And then try it and yeah. you go, "I yeah, just keep doing it. Yeah. And everything becomes easier and easier as you do it. But for me, it was never about mastering all these instruments. It was about making them do what I wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. So, and, and there's a, an amazing thing. I've written a, a bunch of books, you know, and I have, uh, I have uh, my book is called Matt Smith's Chop Shop, and that's my main book that I I always steer people to because it has the way I teach. In there, there's a thing called the secret of everything. Mm-hmm. And the of everything just explains really simply how music works and how you can come up with, how you can control your own music, you know what I mean, how you can do things, and it's really uh, understanding that there's a universe, for example, open tunings, if you learn one open tuning, you actually learn five tunings mm-hmm. like if you learn D tuning, it's the same as E tuning on a guitar, if you move everything you just learn down one string towards the floor you get G and A tuning if you move everything you just played another string towards the floor then you get C tuning that means i don't have to keep relearning the entire guitar i just learn it once and i can play in five tunings now many many instruments are tuned to a chord so if i can play in G tuning i can also play banjo cavaquinho all these trace, all these different instruments that are tuned with the exact same uh, relationship between the strings mm-hmm. You do that it become, and then it's a matter of learning how the instrument is supposed to be played instead of playing it like a guy who just picked it up and is playing like a guitar player yeah instead of really learning the techniques involved in the instruments that's the challenge of it
0: okay perfect and th- this is all stuff that you go over in um the six string ranch as an instructor and this is a lot of the stuff that you talk about on it, the daily there's there's only what i I I come up with an idea and
1: I make a series of videos on it like a whole series of videos on the lap steel guitar did a whole other series of videos on how to improvise an electric guitar. Sometimes it's just different instruments. Sometimes it's different techniques. And so for me, it's, I've never believed in, you know, one of the main issues with you trying to learn something on YouTube, like for example, you you know, I, I look for something, I have a question. And I look at something on YouTube and I have to wade through, you know, four minutes of crap before it gets to the little tiny bit I needed to know because people teach way too much stuff in a video. All I want to know is the thing I want to know. Just concentrate on that single focus and then go from there. I've always tried to teach and I always tried to produce. And I always tried to, uh, write the way I would want. You know, I, for example, as a teacher, I always try to teach the way I would want someone to teach me. As I, when someone comes to work with me in the studio as an artist, I always treat them the way I would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Never condescending. Always, always with great empathy and care, and trying to understand what they
0: want. You know, and mm-hmm. listen. You know, just listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um And so. As far as the production aspect of things, how long have you been produ You produce your own music as well as other musicians, correct? Uh, how long have you how long have you been doing that? Oh boy, uh, probably thirty years now. Okay.
1: Both, both in New York City and and here in Austin, you know.
0: Gotcha. And uh, is is that something that you always wanted to know how to do, or was it just something that you started picking up as you were playing music and gaining? experience recording your music through other studios I would always ask questions at the studio I I would watch
1: and and a lot of times before I started mixing records I would work with other I would work with great engineers so I would produce because musically you know I know exactly what I want to hear and I know how to get what I want out of someone's song and hopefully they want too. I mean this is a collaborative process and, and uh but I would go to the studio, and I would watch someone mix, and then eventually I would be telling them what I wanted them to do. And at that point, I started doing it myself. And uh, it always starts the same way for you, the same thing. I'm just going to buy a mic.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm just going to
1: buy one mic, and then I'm just going to, you know, get a little interface, and I'm going to start doing podcasts. Then pretty soon you're like, well, I need a better mic, and I need a yeah. better interface, and now I need a better camera for my computer. It's a very slippery slope, and before oh, you... It-
0: <laughs> you know it's well, you you know know it it out of control. It, it uh, live and amplified started just kind of like I already had some D- okay camera equipment because I was a filmmaker uh, for years.
1: I researched you
0: yeah. And then you know, it just kind of once we started launching the idea of live and amplified, it's like, go to my engineering buddy, it's like, hey, I want to do this what mics do you need to help me kind of make this work? And he's like, well, I've got the, I've got the Shure 58s. Those are industry standard and pretty versatile. We can make them work for just about anything we want them to work. I'm like, okay, cool. And so like the first session is nothing but a bunch of sure 58s, just kind of miking an acoustic guitar and uh, some vocals. And I'm like, all right, cool. And then we, we uh, jumped way way up a notch and after the third like session or after the second session we went and did a full metal band and it's like hey we don't have enough inputs on your zoom h6 we need to go get like an entire interface and we need a drum kit mic and we need like all these mics so if you really want to go do this session we need to get some mics in an interface really quick and it's like okay let's go all right yeah
1: no, this is this is how you this is it's that's a classic that's how most people start you know you start with like and then what happens you're like why does my why does my recording sound like shit you're like yeah. well because you have crappy mics and you have a crappy interface oh so i need better mics and a better interface and now i need better speakers and better headphones And now I need more channels because a band's coming in, and so and then you're like, now I need a whole bunch more better microphones, and then I need a headphone system so the band can hear themselves when they're playing, and then you're like, and before you know it, you're like, oh, now I need a 32 channel interface with with and, and so i can have my summing mixer and all it never stops and and then there's the whole thing like oh now my computer is too old to run the software that i need to run so now i need to get a whole new computer and then it's a constant upgrading but also uh i love this stuff i never get bored and even sometimes when i'm at the studio all day you know when i'm working in the studio all day it's like what you'll do you'll be You'll go home and then you'll you'll work editing video all day. Then you'll come home and you'll edit some more video because you want to, yeah. not you have to. Yeah. And so the, the same thing with me. Like I have immense amounts of software that I have to learn all the time, like all these sample libraries for what I'm doing, uh, orchestrations or other things like, oh, I have to learn how to do this. There's, I don't understand why something went. <laughs> and the other half of it is what just happened and how do I fix it? How do I have the, you know, so there's that thing, too. That's the other issue. Like, why did my whole studio just go, what happened? And I can't not be ready. I have to fix it. So you fix it. You know, you know, as well as I do, you spend a lot of time figuring out what just went wrong. Yep. Absolutely. I always, always, always. (laughs) And and that's a whole other set of skill sets. You know what I mean? Not enough just to be a musician. You also have to be a technician and you have to understand. And then as a producer, you also have to be a psychiatrist, yep. you know, and a babysitter and 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 be super encouraging and empathetic and understand, you know. You gotta step out of your own way. You gotta get
0: out of your ego. Yep, absolutely. You, re- you really, really do, because it's like working with musicians, recording them, they're really like they're making themselves so vulnerable and they're really self-conscious about what they're doing and you have to reassure them like hey you think you messed up it sounds great and then you have to go and prove it like you know you 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 definitely have to go and prove it and show them like hey you didn't mess up but you you, you've got to like wear almost wear all these hats you got to be the producer you got to be a technician because if the interface starts melting down or the mics start acting up or the XLR, like, I can't tell you how many times we throw or how many XLR cables we throw away a year just because they, they go. Like, you know, as well as anybody, XLR uh, but, cables just what go. It is, what it is, uh, uh,
1: all of this is uh, preparation, you know, and be prepared, like, uh, and and understanding what can happen and what does happen. And then also simplifying your setup like right now you do this every day Mm -hmm. all you got to do is sit down turn on your computer and you're ready to go you don't have to worry about because you're not tearing it down every Mm -hmm. day you know what i mean it's different if you tore it down every day like doing a live show then you're tearing everything down you're like oh no i don't have i don't have an iec cable from my mixer where can i get an iec cable right now you know Mm -hmm. You know, it was the power cable that, you know what I'm talking about, but the the listener is a power cable that plugs into the back of whatever you, you know, you know, so if you don't have that or, you know, any kind of things that can go wrong, you got to just, but the amazing thing is you only do that once. It's like not saving your, what's on your hard drive. You know what I mean? It's not saving your session or not saving what you're doing. You only do that once. And then you learn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, (laughs) Uh, I guess, uh, anyway, I don't
0: mean to keep... um, I will say, though, like just kind of the one thing that we continually lose, and it drives me... Or there's two things we continually lose, and it drives me bananas. The 3.5 to quarter inch adapter for the headphones, we lose those constantly. We'll be cleaning out the car, and there'll be six of them sitting at the bottom of the spare tire bin. And it's like, well... We've got them for the next trip now. And then we lose them. And then it's like, okay, go buy more, you know, and so it's just that constant battle. And then the um the screws, or not the screws, but the the bolt thing to tighten up your uh, booms on your mic stance, like the the locks. Oh, okay. There you go. Invest in
1: you know, I I just get really good mic stance. I do. These are, these are things that you realize you can't like get used or cheap things because when you're tightening a mic stand up, the choke just, if you have a cheap mic stand, it just doesn't, it's not worth
0: it. Let's jump into the big one. What you've been answering it pretty much the entire night, but um, what advice do you have for beginner musicians that are ready to take that next step? Like they've been experimenting. They're starting to find their sound but they're ready to make that next step.
1: Well, think? I, the, I think the whole thing is obviously you need to write and record your own music. And and a lot of most of the stuff can all be done at home really simply. You have GarageBand and Cubase and all, kind, you know, Acid and, and all kinds of, you know, Reason and all kinds of these other things you can do, whether you're making beats or whether you're whatever you're doing. The, the important thing is you learn by doing. You know, the, you can go to school for engineering, you can go to school and learn all this kind of stuff, but you don't really learn what you learn. You know, as well as I do, for example, as a musician, you don't learn anything near as much in your in, practicing in your bedroom as you do on stage. One gig is worth 10 practice sessions in, in your room because the things that you learn are real world, uh, uh, you know, information. When you're recording, you are got to make mistakes. It's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's how you learn. So mm-hmm. it's okay to make mistakes, and it's okay uh, to start to understand how to make things sound good. One of the biggest things I always tell people, everything can't be big. You can't have everything be big. You can't have everything be in stereo. You have to listen to, especially when you're mixing, you have to listen to the whole thing together mm-hmm. and then start figuring out what the problem is, you know? Yeah. But there's nothing better than just writing and recording your own music. It's uh, it gives you, especially when you're learning, it gives you a focus for why again the why. Why are you doing this? If, uh, if you learn how to record by recording, you know you can read sit in your car and read the manual, but until you get behind the wheel and take it on the road, you're not. You know I know these yeah. are stupid challenges, but but the, uh, but the same thing with the recording. You just got to keep doing it, and you get better at it. And you'll find that less is more a lot of times. You know, uh, less distortion, less reverb. You know, less delay, unless that's what you're going for. And then pile it on. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there are there. Are, I remember once uh, reading uh, very early in my career. Reading. Uh, uh, I met this. Well, first of all, say uh, this is important. A word of advice for when you're making music. I went down to to New York to have a meeting with an A&R guy, and he he was listening to some of my songs early in my career. And he goes, "What's the best part of your song?" And I was taken aback. I wasn't prepared for the question. I go, "Uh, "I guess this hook right here." And he looked at me and he goes, "Why isn't the rest of it that good?" Everything has to be the best part of everything. Every single thing in your song is an opportunity to make it better. Everything should be the best part of the song.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, that makes for you know, and I think that kind of drives the whole um, the whole streaming platform that we're in because every song, because everybody's releasing singles right now, everything could be at any point. If you release an album at any point, you could point at any one of those songs and say, "Okay, that is the best song on the album. That's our lead single." like that, that's kind of the mentality a lot of younger musicians are taking now
1: well to me it's always like well you don't have to make an album anymore you can just release a long string of singles the bottom line is is that uh things are based at this point are you as well as you know is is units of press you want to get on live and amplified you mm-hmm. want to get the word out you want to spread the word on things uh you know you want to be able to have people talk about your band and, and being like, wow, that band's super cool. Why is your band sound cooler than the other band down the road? You know, so and, and is it because not because you have a better engineer or you have a better guitar or anything, but because your songs are better?
0: Mm-hmm. You no,
1: know, uh, the lyrics got to be great. The guitar hooks have to be great. The beat has to be great. Everything. And the more you can do that, the more you you can. It's important. I remember a friend of mine says another sentence to me a long time ago. He goes, "What would you say to you?" Which is brilliant, you mm-hmm. know. Just, what would you say to you if you were listening to your song, and it wasn't you? What would you say about your song? We get so far deep inside of it that it's really hard for us to stand outside ourselves and 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 listen to what's. Or make judgments on what what could be better in our music. It's so personal, you know. It's such a personal thing. It's like it's my music, baby. Don't be talking smack about my music, baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So,
0: absolutely. But uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, So, where can everybody find you online? Where can they find your music, your uh, Six String? For more information about Six String Ranch, all that fun stuff.
1: Well, you can always find me at sixstringranch.com. My music uh, is under three different things; it's under everything. I have a ton of videos on Six String, uh, on my new uh, my new albums, but I'm under Matt Smith, Matt Smith's World, and the Matt Smith Band. So you can there's three different places to look on, for example, any of your streaming services for the various albums, on my website sixstringranch.com. Uh, there's a, a whole video channel on there uh, with a ton of free video stuff also we run a lot of events when when this thing disappears like yeah. master classes with famous guitar players and stuff I do a lot of those here because I all these guys I've known over the years and stuff so they come in and they do master classes for small groups of people but I can always be reached uh, through six string, matt at sixstringranch.com if you're interested in zoom lessons, or if you just need some consultant or if you're like, why can't I get logic to work? Right. Stuff like that. I do yeah. those kinds of things. Anyway, yeah. that's how you touch with me and make sure to tell your friends about live and live and amplify. Keep this thing going.
0: Thank you. Yes. It's a, uh, it, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you. Um, I hope I, I was hoping to make it down to Austin a couple of weeks ago. Cause I was going to be in Georgetown. And then they, I got a phone call from the booking manager for the show that I was going to go to. It's like, hey, have you? Le- are you almost here or have you left? And I was like, I'm leaving now. It, it's like an hour or whatever to Georgetown. He's like, uh, we're already at capacity. So you could still come and wait and see if somebody leaves. But, you know, it's just like, all right, well, I guess I'll stay home. You know, I, I, I won't drive.
1: Anyway, if you do come into town, you know you have my phone number. Just give me a call and and or just email me, and and I'll send you my number if you don't have it. But it, the it uh, should
0: be in the 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 form thing that it, I have. Just uh, just give me a
1: holler and come on by the studio. You'll be very impressed with what we have here. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you know, the studio is completely like we don't advertise. We don't. There's no sign out front. Mm-hmm. You. Never know it was there. I do that deliberately, and you'll understand when you come.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, it's. I've been here a year. I haven't been to Austin yet.
1: Oh man, you got to come. But the thing is, also, there's really not. I mean, what are you going to do? You can't really go anywhere. I can't see. There's still, you know, there's no nothing really open yet. You know. Yep. But this will pass, it'll pass.
0: You know. It will. I'm. Um... Well, we've got a couple of things that we're going to do in uh, in 2021 in the first half, and then the back half, we're just kind of like, okay, all gloves are off. We're going places.
1: Good. So, you guys got a location. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Well, right. it, was a
0: pleasure talking to. it was great to meet you. Yep, great to meet you as well. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys later. All right. Cool. Yep. We're off. We're good.